Welcome to Kingdom.Think, where we are, we are reading the Bible in one year. And we have um, covered so much. And today we're covering 3 John. John, not John 3, but 3 John. <laughs> um, yesterday was, so you know how it's 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John. So it's 3rd John today. And it's super short super, super short. So like, what's the theme? What's the theme of this whole book is, um, he's talking to the church and how to love correctly in the church, how to show hospitality to believers. Um, you can read this book, but we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Um, he's also pointing out, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and put them out of the church. Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Yep, I like John. He's super direct. He is so clear-cut, direct, even where he says, hey, this is a short letter because I don't want to, I don't want to use up any more paper or ink. That's funny. Um, moving on to Job, and I'm going to go to Job kind of quickly. So there, there you have it. That was third John. But let's move to Job. 26 to 28. Oh my goodness. Um, let me read some because, oh my goodness. Okay. How have you helped? Okay. So, well, before I read, this is the response to his friends. And he's basically telling his friends, your words were pointless. You didn't comfort. You said the wrong things. Um, How have you helped the powerless? How have you saved the arm that is feeble? What advice you have offered to the one without wisdom? And what great insight you have displayed? Is he being sarcastic? I think he's being sarcastic. Or maybe not. Maybe he's actually, I don't know. I don't know. Who has helped you utter these words? And what spirit spoke from your mouth? The dead are in deep anguish. Those beneath the waters... Okay. Mhm, mhm, mhm. He wraps up the waters in his cloud. So, so now he's he doesn't seem to be saying anything very harsh. He's just saying, "Hey, honestly, where are we getting our information?" Um, but then this is where it gets good. Chapter 27. As surely God, as God lives, who has denied me justice? The Almighty who has made my life bitter. As long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemy be like the wicked, my adversary like the unjust. For what hope have the godless when they are cut off. 
When God takes away their life, does God listen to their cry when distress comes upon them? Will they find delight in the Almighty? Will they call on God at all times? I will I will teach you about power, the power of God, the ways of the Almighty. I will con- not conceal. You have all seen this yourselves. Why then this meaningless talk? Here is the fate God allots to the wicked, the heritage of a ruthless man receives from the Almighty. However many his children, their fate is the sword. His offspring will never have enough to eat. The plague will bury those who survive him, and their widows will not weep for them. So in a way, he's sort of answering, in my opinion. He, he's sort of answering, yes, what his friends said. But also he's answering his own personal dialogue in the previous chapters when he was saying, why do all this bad stuff happen? And he says, you know what? Even though those wicked are still living and seem to be doing well, in the end, this is what's going to happen to them. And he's saying, but it may appear that I am suffering terribly, but I'm going to not lose my integrity by becoming like, like what choices do you have? Okay, so you're suffering. What choices do you have? To sin more? To be further from God? He's saying that's not a good idea because look what, look what happens. Though he heaps up silver like dust and clothes like piles of clay, what he lays upon the righteous will wear, will wear and the innocent will divide his silver. The house he builds like, is like the moth. So he's still talking about the evil. This is what's going to happen to him, to the evil people. So he's like, it's, it's not worth it. Even though you're suffering and it seems like it's God who's doing it, it's not worth turning away from God. Um, terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest snatches him away in, that, in the night. The east wind carries him off and he is gone. It sweeps him out of this place. It hurls itself against him with, without mercy and he flees headlong from his, its power. Okay, he's talking about them. But then in chapter 28... Something again shifts. He starts to ask the questions. And that's the beautiful thing about Job. It's okay to be angry sometimes at God. It's okay to question. It's okay to wonder. Because you'll find your resolution. You'll find your peace. And can you not turn away from God, even in the midst of your darkest hour? So here he says, The There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortal mortals put put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in place untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which... Food comes, it's transformed below us as by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks and its dust contain nuggets of gold. So he's talking about the awness of creation and earth. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eyes has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it and no lion prowls there. People assault the flintly rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rocks. Their eyes see all its treasures. Now he's expressing how the humans are searching 
They tunnel through the rocks and their eyes see all the treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where, okay, here's where the awesomeness comes. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it. So he's talking about wisdom. He's asking the big questions. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction, death says, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way of it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth. So only God knows wisdom and understanding and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Oh, that's a mic drop. That is a mic drop. Remember Solomon was all about, I just want wisdom. And it says right here, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So when you face evil, if you can shun evil, you have understanding. The fear of the Lord. And so one could say, oh my gosh, what does that mean? And we try to like make it really gentle. Okay, well, you know, it doesn't mean like you're in terror of God. It means, you know, reverence and honor. And I've said it throughout all my episodes of podcasts, which is true. The fear of the Lord is such a reverence, such an honor beyond anything. And only the, we- the word fear could encompass it because it's such a powerful emotion. But yet God is love. So how could we fear God and also be in love, right? So that kind of fear is honor and reverence. Yes, but it's also an awe-ness of the, the magnanimousness of God. Don't know if that's a real word, but like everything that is created and how he literally measures out the water, how he literally puts the treasures of diamonds and gold in the mountains where no human has ever touched. Just the awesomeness of that. Can you fear that greatness and love at the same time? That's what the fear of the Lord is. That's where wisdom comes from. So then you might think, well, then it's impossible. That's why we read our Bible. That's why we pray. That's why we love others. That's why we show hospitality. That's why we forgive. That's why we have grace. That's why we do our best to be like Jesus. And that's why Jesus walked on earth so we could see how he lives and so he can ultimately die on the cross to be the final sacrifice so that coming to God is easier through Jesus. 
The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Do you want wisdom and understanding? That's how you do it. (laughs) So good. Oh my gosh. Who would have thought we were having such a good time in the book of Job? Um, Okay, my friends. Wow. What did we just cover? We just covered Job 26, 27, and 28 and read the entire book of 3 John. All right. Make it a great day. Go back and read these. It's powerful stuff, right? All right. Talk to you soon.